0: It's pretty good to me. Looks like hell. It's all we got.
1: Hello and welcome to the original remake podcast where we discuss and compare an original film and its remake.
2: Hello and welcome to the original remake podcast where we discuss and compare an original film and its remake. Ultimately, we seek answers to three questions. Does the remake do justice to the original? And if you just watch the remake you get a good sense of why the original was successful or not successful, and thus remade.
1: But most of all, which movie to watch, the original or the remake?
2: Hello, I'm Michael Denniston, and on this episode, my co-host Peter decided to leave me alone in Precinct 13, or more accurately, Precinct 9, Division 13, if you're a fan. So I brought in my co-host Shane Connor from my other podcast, War Machine vs. War Horse. And on this episode, we debate the appropriate amount of cheese how far we have not come in film casting since 1976, and the possibility of future remakes for this film. But for now, let's get into the 1976 and 2005 versions of Assault on Precinct 13. Freeze!
0: This is the police! Drop your weapons and place your hands above your heads! On Saturday, six members of the gang known as Street Thunder were ambushed by the police. On Sunday, the warlords of Street Thunder swore a blood oath to avenge their dead. For the gang called Street Thunder, it is a day of vengeance. It's war in the streets.
1: Oh, Jesus, come on. Come on, I'll give you my money, just don't hurt me. Please, please.
0: It's terror in the night it's the most shattering assault on a police station in history assault on precinct 13 this is a siege it's a goddamn siege you want to stay here and hold until somebody comes okay? we're in the middle of a city inside a police station does that mean they're not afraid to die any of them they want to rip us apart no matter what it costs it means to the death precinct 13 cut off isolated in the middle of a city as a human wave of street killers turns the night into a nightmare
1: going on down here. We can't find the damn thing.
0: A white-hot night of hate. Assault on Precinct 13.
2: I've not seen either one of these. Uh, had you seen, You'd seen the remake, but not the original?
1: Yeah, I had seen like the... Is it late 90s, early 2000s? The Ethan Hawke version? 2005, yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so I had seen that version, and uh, I liked it all right. Uh, it wasn't like, you know bruce willis early 90s quality as far as action movies are concerned but you know it was a decent watch for the action movies that were coming out at the time it seems like ethan Hawke uh had i
2: guess a moment there after training day where he he went to these not extremely high budget sort of action movies um but now he's shifted into horror with like the purge and sinister so it's it's weird how he sort of goes and waves on the type of material that he
1: takes yeah, and I guess he had taking lives was kinda of right in the middle of that, right? And he was yeah. kind of transitioning. Yeah, blend. Um uh, and I actually really liked that one more so than than this, actually, but it's you know completely different sort of subject matter too.
2: So getting to you know what they, they really changed here, since I had I had no experience. I knew that the carpenter version was gonna be uh much more on the cheap, as most of his uh early work uh was. Something I mean, even something like Halloween, which is iconic uh you watch it now you can tell that they were on a shoestring budget uh as far as uh the the sets and the uh the characters they have just the the amount of cast is uh you know they're fairly young talent and there's a lot of scenes of them just walking around before any action takes place and uh here it, it's somewhat similar and uh, and then it takes a little bit for the uh the the siege i guess of the uh well, really the city in the original version uh much different than the the remake
1: but I think it's kind of funny that, in in hindsight, you know, we're talking thirty years later here. I think John Carpenter, the longevity and the sort of the rewatchability, benefited from being on such a budget because mm-hmm. they focused so much more on stuff they could control, like the score and the sound editing and all that kind of stuff that kind of stands the test of time. Whereas even the best graphics from when this movie came out would still kind of pale in comparison to today's standard.
2: Yeah, just as far as using practical effects as opposed to whatever was considered the uh, you know, the most uh, technologically advanced way of doing it, which doesn't really hold up, which they don't do a lot of that in the 2005 version, but uh, I know immediately the I guess the sense of style that this uh director, who I'm not familiar with, the French director, uh Juan Francois Roche, I don't know how to I don't know. Uh he's not really done a lot since uh since this. I think he's gone back to doing Uh, films in his his native tongue but uh it's mainly the way both these films open with our our lead character the uh the cop who's going to be in charge of this uh i guess this final night the shutdown of this precinct uh whereas in the original you have uh austin stoker playing ethan bishop and he's I mean, we don't see any sort of trauma or anything. He, he's basically seems like just a regular nice guy. And he's, he's kind of cracking jokes about, you know, the, the shift that's going to be coming up on the, on the radio over, like having something to do. Whereas with Ethan Hawke, the opening sequence, it's this kind of, uh, MTV style, I guess as they used to say, sort of jittery effect of Ethan Hawke as this undercover uh, cop as a, as a drug dealer. And that, to me, didn't really work at all. That entire sequence is going to set him up as, I guess, being this guilt-ridden cop.
1: What's weird, the, uh, the, the remake in general, like there are so many more sort of unnecessary, I guess. And I don't want to call them plot devices, but just unnecessary plot points that they have kind of sled into this story that, aren't really necessary like the entire beginning sequence you know he doesn't need to have some middle background he doesn't need to be seen a shrink in, at the police station of all places uh, make house calls don't they yeah like new year's eve <laughs> i know you're all you're on duty and everything but how about a session like let's sit down and talk about how you're feeling tonight uh it's just so weird and kind of shoehorned in there uh, that when I watched the original, having not seen it, it was like, oh, this this is nice. This is just kind of flowing along, like everything's connected nicely. Like I appreciate this. Like I don't have all this extra stuff you know, like trying to distract me. They also go into a backstory for
2: the uh, the attackers, the, the 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 gang that will try to to take control of this precinct and kill everyone in it. Now. I'll admit, in the original, it's a little vague to me. We see an opening sequence of, I'm assuming, these gang members who get shot by the police. Uh, They're they're raiding weapons, basically.
1: Yeah, they do a poor job of explaining what exactly happens in that opening scene, but that is, uh, what, like four or six, I don't remember the exact number, gang members get killed by the police. So then you cut to a scene that Kind of looks like some sort of drug-induced ritual, but it is the warlords of that gang swearing <laughs> vengeance on the police and the city in general.
2: Yeah, it's. I think the biggest distinction is that they're just going to wreak havoc on, on the city, which in the remake, they're very specifically after the Lawrence Fishburne character of Marion well, Bishop. In the
1: original, they basically decided we're going to purge before Ethan Hawke gets a chance in 30 years, like the city right. is doomed.
2: <laughs> which also... Yeah, there's an element of the supernatural to Carpenter's version because he doesn't allow the the gang to to have dialogue. Like they just silently sort of stalk the streets. I mean, there's one scene that's really shocking. So I guess if you've not seen it, we're you know just seven minutes into this conversation. Uh, I I would say stop and check it out now. It's a really short film. Uh, Was it what under? It's right at ninety minutes. Yeah, right.
1: Uh, And that's with intro, outros, and all that. Oh yeah.
2: Uh, Great music as well, but um, it's the ice cream uh, scene, and (laughs) it's just really excessive violence uh, that, as you said, doesn't serve any particular plot because these criminals don't want anything except just to cause death. And I actually had to go back because I was like, did I miss something? Were they specifically targeting, like, that guy and his family? No. And that makes it kind of – that makes it scarier to me
1: they weren't specifically targeting him but that is what sort of led them to the police station when they're chasing him and he kind of retreats into the police station right. and that's that's why they are assaulting that specific building but up to uh, that point with, yeah, where there they was shoot no the, reasoning behind it yeah
2: where they where they shoot the child that's not like it was because they're targeting him yeah. it was just i mean it was just bad
1: luck yeah. having to be there uh, and that was a huge sticking point with the the ratings commission when this first came out because right. they wanted to give it a higher than an R rating and John Carpenter had to fight to keep the scene and keep an R rating. Well,
2: do do you know how he he did it? He, his producer just advised him to submit the film without the child being shot uh and killed for the rating and then after they got the R rating to just put it back in for the the to the, the copies that would go out to theaters, which I guess is, you know, the the most simple way to do it. A little bit underhanded. I feel like it
1: has to be like a finable offense, though, right? <laughs> you would like You're you would already think on wouldn't. a tight budget and you're like, well, no, no, they can find us if they want to.
2: <laughs> you would think it would not be that easy. Um, but yeah, it's. Now, I will say that kind of like Halloween, he he's very good about putting those sort of iconic moments of violence uh, where there's not a lot of violence in these films, like, you know, Salts on Precinct 13, Halloween. Also, like Halloween, going back to the the gang and the, the sort of supernatural element, they seem to respawn as if you're in a video game. Like, you know, just I thought we were dealing with, uh, as you mentioned, the sort of the three warlords and their blood oaths and maybe some of their cronies. But then we get to the precinct when they, they start the siege and they just keep coming. Like there's just they just multiply. And at first I was a little I was just like, OK, I don't know if I'm I'm into this, but. Uh, then watching it as a double feature with the remake where they are very specific. And I guess they try to make it instead of less supernatural, more of like a, a sort of paranoid thriller where it's dirty cops, like turning on each other and who, who can they trust? I, I much prefer the, the supernatural version. I, I didn't really care about, uh, about Gabriel
1: Byrne and, uh, and who was like working with him. Um, but it's funny. Cause I had the exact thought as I'm watching the original I'm like, you know, you're so kind of accustomed to movies nowadays in this sort of vein that it's all about whittling down your opponent. Like, oh, there's only 10 left. Oh, there's only six. We've got a chance. And, like, I remember these, you know, they'll show two or three people dying in the original and they'll cut back. Like, are there more of them? Like, they (laughs) they just killed a handful. Like, I feel like there's more out there than there were before. And, yeah, it was very... Almost sort of zombie movie-esque, where the horde just kept coming, no matter how many they would kill. And Carpenter said that, uh I guess, *Night of the Living Dead was one of his uh bigger
2: influences on this film. So it's like his ver- strange version of a zombie uh, film, which I, I really liked. I, I think that there are elements that could have worked for Assault on Precinct 13, but uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say that a story like this, if you want to make it... um a group of people who don't really know each other that well with, you know, Ethan Hawke's background that he's, he's, you know, in command, but he's, you know, he's kind of pushing paper. He's, he's a desk jockey now because of his, his past, that incident, uh, and not maybe really knowing, uh, his fellow cops as well as he thought he did because he's been removed from the the streets. I think you need to make it more like Tarantino did for the hateful eight that it needs to be less about, Knowing who the attackers are on the outside and being more concerned about the people on the inside, but I don't feel like they develop the characters enough to where I even care like when they do reveal who's i guess the the inside man uh it's not i don't know it's not a big deal to me did did that work for you at all
1: no it was it was uh, like in principle the ideal is great right if you you want to throw that psychological element into it and you have the the person inside working against you to help the enemy. But you have to, like you said, you have to develop it more. You can't just get to the end and sort of pull a mask off somebody and be like, aha, we got you. And it's like, no, you didn't, because I, I didn't care at this point. It had no effect on everything that had happened until you revealed him. Um, and that's, I think that's part of where I don't want to call it a John Carp plot simplicity, but it was much more straightforward in the original. Present uh, make, if you were to go to the restroom or something and miss five minutes of this action movie, you could come back and be like, what the hell's happening? Like, why is this going on now? Right. Like they, they jump around a lot unnecessarily. And even some of like the, the action sequences were really poorly executed. There was the one in particular, I'm thinking when this, the station is just now being sieged and they're trying to help the wounded officer through the building. And it's when the uh, sniper rifle lasers or whatever first come through Mm -hmm. the window and they're like, oh, get down, get down, and three of them fall on the floor together, and there are like six lasers right on there. <laughs> right? And there's no shot fired. <laughs> and it's like, well, these are their horrible snipers, <laughs> or you're just really, really lucky. <laughs> it was like, and then they run straight to the window and they just close the blinds. Well, like that goes
2: safe. goes back to what you're saying about the the inexpensive version, or just working on a very limited budget, as Carpenter did. Actually works to its favor when the story is simply about people trying to get inside and you're trying to keep them out, just a home invasion type thing. Because you know, I mentioned the purge earlier as far as the direction Ethan Hawke's career's gone. They really have to, you know, work to get those people inside to have it make sense when they establish all this technology that Ethan Hawke's character has to lock people out. And as you said, when they in the 2005 version, when you start bringing in. S- snipers with all these, you know, sort of laser sight attachments, and you can see them visually, like, all over the place inside. Like, really, what's stopping them from just killing everyone in there? Like, just, <laughs> like, it seems like they have the technology, they have the will to just destroy that building, whereas at least in the original version, you know, they they may have guns, but they have, they're not equipped like a military force.
1: Yeah, you didn't have the feeling in the original that they were just... Had an endless, endless supply of ammunition and resources at her disposal. I mean, the climactic, I guess, fight scene almost of this movie is them in a hallway with a table between them and the horde, like hitting each other with like pop bottles and hammers. <laughs> like Bats, this is not sticks, high, this, whatever this they can grab their hands tech on. Tech warfare by <laughs> any means,
2: and that sequence totally works. Like I love that. I mean, it's it's hard to qualify that as an action sequence because it is so simply staged, but it's just awesome to see it's, it's fun, like in a, in a strange way. And I never felt like the 2005 version was fun at all. Maybe the, the introduction of the Lawrence Fishburne character, uh, in the church sequence. I mean, someone getting shot in a church is always a good time for me, but, uh, you know, that, that quickly goes away and they just, they just get him inside as the w- rest. But, uh, what did you make of... Did, I, I must have missed it, but I'm just looking at the IMDb uh, page here. Is his character supposed to be related to the cop from the original? Because they both share the bishop name. Or is that just a, a nod to the original?
1: As far as I know, it's just a nod to the original. They never said one way or the other. Um, but yeah, I mean, it would be a neat little nod, but I don't think they drew any direct comparisons.
2: Do you think that the on, on that, that track that the newer one has made the Lawrence Fishburne character more, more of the main character than the cop. Cause in, in the original uh, you know, the, the cop is still in charge and then the newer one, they, they kind of share that, that duty um, you know, Lawrence Fishburne is set up that he has to basically control the criminal half of it. And Ethan Hawke will control the the cops. But I felt like in the original film, it was much more of an earned mutual respect between the cop and criminal than you see here.
1: Yeah. The the original felt much more like a, a partnership of like, okay, we're in this together. And we realized that, and you never really had the combative nature between the two, or even like the, I guess sort of the standoff scene in the remake where they first let the prisoners out. It's like, none of you have anything to gain by this. Like they want everybody dead, but they spent like a five minutes on this scene Where the old cop is like, you know, he's pointing his gun, and then he's cocking his gun. It's like enough, enough. Just let's get back to the movie. Uh, And I don't know, like it was little scenes like that. And then I like Ethan Hawke, and I think he is a great actor, but he is never sort of the character that demands the screen that Lawrence Fishburne is. And so when you put them together, it's it's almost impossible not to sort of focus in on Lawrence Fishburne and think of him as the primary character. He also has a physical presence that Ethan Hawke does. I mean, he's just... He's larger, more
2: posing. I mean, he's got a, a very cool, obviously, Morpheus uh, voice. Uh, but I feel like in the original, they make the cop and criminal... Both of them are cool characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, the criminal gets some very, you know, cool one-liners. Oh, yeah, uh, he gets the, the nice lines. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. The, the cop is... uh he he's still in control. Like he's still uh a little more aggressive than the way Ethan Hawk plays it as far as how they're gonna get out of the situation.
1: Uh, yeah, to some extent. Um but it's it's one of those things, like I guess it's has to do with the technology as well. Like when you are going against, you know, the police SWAT team or whatever and you realize the resources they have at their disposal, eventually you have you have to be aggressive. You're not gonna wait this out because Unlike, you know, in the first one, it's not going to come down to them just having a baseball bat. And then you're like, okay, now we have a fighting chance. Like, you have to be somewhat on the initiative to take matters into your own, own hands, I think. So on on that regard, I thought the remake worked in that sense. But then it still kind of fell short overall because of all the twists and turns they tried to take with it. Did you like that they take the uh, the combat outside of the precinct, which is something that the uh, the original never does? Not really. Uh, I feel like at that point, if you're the fish in the barrel, so to speak, and you stick your head out of that barrel, like it's just not going to end well for you unless you're just against complete idiots. Like it's over. Uh, And so once they got out, I felt like it was very uh, sort of hero centric where you knew nothing bad was going to happen to your main characters because it just, it drug on for too long. And, And I liked, you know, you have the car scene, in each of the movies that is a little contrived in the way they do it. You know, in the first one, they send out one person to try to escape. He gets to a car and he's almost escaped into this telephone booth and somebody pops up in the back seat and just sh- shoots him. It's like, well, that, that felt cheap, like that he was there the whole time. And in the second one, it's it's a little similar in that it's, you know, like a sniper hits the car and he has to stop and they end up pulling him back into the police station and I thought those little bits for each movie were enough that you didn't actually have to take the entire sort of combat scene action sequence out of the police station. I, I do respect that the uh, the or the remakes
2: still has a, a pretty. I would say it's a brutal death because you mentioned the the therapist that you know does the New Year's Eve uh, you know house calls. I guess uh, played by Maria Bello. And I did not expect her to meet the same fate because they put her in there with another character uh an actress who I'm not familiar with, and so I figured that since she's the name uh after they they killed the the unknown that she would be used as some sort of hostage, but they actually still go through with it uh and just just kill her off and i this this makes me sound very very dark, but I respected it. I felt that was about as close as they got to uh the ice cream uh Sequence as far as killing off someone that you would never expect for them to, to touch in a film like this.
1: Yeah, and, and the other actress uh, was what, Dre Matteo, I believe, playing the secretary from the original. And I don't know, I didn't have a problem with the casting, but like the fact that they dressed her like she was the hooker who didn't get transferred in time, and like even some of the scenes, like they overtly kind of sexualized the character in comparison to the original secretary. Who's like, pretty badass. Yeah, when shit hit the fan, like, she was like a really strong sort of female character that, you know, didn't, you know, cry and get scared and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, the scene where she takes the gun and, like, it's holding it when the prisoner, or I think it was actually Tony Burton's character was kind of starting to lose his shit a little bit. And she's like, I've already been shot once. I don't care for it again. Like, that was a great scene. And you did not get that from any of your female characters in the remake.
2: No, I mean, to, to what you just said about sexualizing the, uh, de mateo character uh of iris i think she just opens talking about her sort of sexual exploits uh basically trying to you know just trying to have some sort of male attention there uh and then has some sort of weird thing with lawrence fishburne uh like in the middle of the siege uh but i was reading that the carpenter was a big fan and thinks of this as kind of an unofficial remake of uh, rio bravo and he was a big fan of how howard hawks uh had the his female hmm. character sort of uh, basically just be as tough as the men, uh but it's sort of sad that we're you know we're looking at a nineteen seventy six film with the pretty much the exact same character and saying that it was more progressive and forward thinking than the two thousand five version
1: which which is funny because you know my love of John Wayne knows no ends and Rio Bravo being a John Wayne movie I'm extremely familiar with it, and it's actually a, a really good comparison between uh dre DiMatteo's character and Angie Dickinson. In the the Rio Bravo character, which uh, is I don't know, I'm, I kind of want to go back and rewatch it now, cause just to draw the, some character parallels between the mm-hmm. other sort of cast around the female and see how that stacks up. Yeah, often on on this
2: on this podcast we'll we'll find you know the I guess the official remakes, but then in reading up on it, it's like you can find. Uh, a few other unofficial remakes that have, that have happened. And so I, I was interested in going back and checking out to Rio Bravo and sort of comparing it to the, the Carpenter version.
1: Have you seen Rio Bravo before?
2: I, that is one of the few John Wayne movies I have seen. And I'm not going to go on the record saying anything positive because I know that's what you're looking for. Uh,
1: you, you, we know you just watched it for the <laughs> Sweet Dean Martin
2: musical numbers. That I'm, I'm a fan of those. Uh, if only John Wayne would participate a little bit more. He might have... I don't know. He's, he's got such a great voice. Um, you know, something we've not done yet for this podcast is true grit. And I'm definitely oh. going to bring you back on for that, uh, for the original remake battle there, because it's easily the Coen Brothers version.
1: Yeah, that's that. we'll have to save that conversation <laughs> for another day, because we know that's going to be straight down a wormhole. Uh,
2: <laughs> I'm very tempted just to play the John Wayne clip right now. Uh, What'll it
1: be? <laughs> we know, I know exactly what clip you're talking about. <laughs> The day the trailer came out, that's all Mike <laughs> has been able to harp on for like the last five years. But getting back
2: to to this film, what do you think the 2005 version could have done differently? Uh, do you think they should have just tried to play it more streamlined and simple like the original, even though they're going to operate obviously on a higher budget? Uh, or if they're going to operate on a higher budget, what, what how much further could they have taken this without without getting too far off the mark?
1: Know. It's it's really a slippery slope when you go into remake territory, especially something that is iconic as a John Carpenter movie. Because if you stay too close to it, then you're going to get the people saying, why even bother remaking it? Like, what's the point? We've seen this exact story before. But then, you know, if you like you said, if you go too far, you're going to get those same people talking about how you've ruined it. You know, this isn't the same movie. You can't use the, the, the name even because you've gone so far, of course. And so I appreciate how far they took it in the attempt to make it their own. I just thought they they didn't execute the path that they took well enough. Like, you know, we're talking about the corrupt cop angle and sort of the reveal where you're unmasking the detective who's actually, I guess, a mole for better or worse terms of what this guy is in the precinct throughout the course of this movie. Uh, it just It was very clumsily handled. Like, as an audience, you weren't invested in that sort of espionage role that this character is supposed to be playing. Uh, So I don't know what they could have done to get the audience more involved in that plot twist that they were going for. Um, But I mean, yeah, they had to try something to make it their own and it just, they didn't fully execute. I don't think. I think for me, it's uh, having far too recognizable
2: of a cast. Um, As I said, uh, Gabriel Byrne, uh, Ja Rule, uh, playing one the, of the criminals that just bothered me in general. Like
1: I don't know, like it was not, it wasn't necessary. There's an
2: awkward, I think, trend we're gonna go back and see with like the, uh, you know, early to mid two thousands where you would just see random sort of failed rap acts would show up as like a supporting part, mm-hmm. usually in you know very sort of you know. A racist way playing some sort of criminal or something uh in film
1: dmx springs to mind for multiple movies right
2: um but he was pretty good in top five the, the chris rock performance uh, although he is i think he's currently in jail uh uh that one but I, I enjoyed that a more comedic take on it um we also you know as as you mentioned was de Matteo like playing somewhat of a version of her soprano's character, John Leguizamo is playing the loudmouth as Beck. Uh I feel like we know too much about their screen personas that we know who's safe and who's not. Uh so I I grant them the the bellow death, but like we we know Ethan Hawke and Fishburne are going to you know make it through the end of the night and all of that the way they've defined the relationship, we know that they're the two that are going to have to have like a last um kind of battle themselves and watching the carpenter version and maybe it's just due to it being 1976 i'm not as familiar with the actors i i didn't know who i mean it seemed like anyone could be killed off at any time it it, it didn't feel like anyone was uh out of bounds whereas here you clearly know ethan Hawke's not going to buy it uh in the you know first 45 minutes
1: yeah and it's kind of funny because you know watching the original uh tony burton is the actor i was most familiar with uh, as the corner man from rocky and like You know, I'm watching this like, oh, Tony might get out of this alive. And like, you know, you know, I had seen the original, so I knew which characters make it out. But then at the same time, it was like he felt like the big name of Mm -hmm. this movie because we know what his career did after this, of course. Um, And the remake does it does suffer from that a little bit. Um, But when you're doing a remake, I guess they they want the names to draw you in and be like, oh, well, I want to see what these these big actors can do with this movie that didn't have the budget before. Um, so I don't know. It's it's an interesting choice, I guess. I don't know if it's the, the director or the, you know, the casting person who gets to make that call on how big they want to go with their cast. My bigger issue was actually uh, the race swap in the roles because uh, in the original you have, you know, black cop, white prisoner and that worked totally fine for me. Like I was all about that. And then you get to this sort of modern updated version and I'm not sure why they felt the need to flip that.
2: Kind of like, the same with the the female character, the secretary. It seems like it was far more progressive in the 76 version, 2005. Uh, which we... is
1: odd because when Carpenter was enlisted to make this, they specifically said, we want a low-budget exploitation film. And mm-hmm. here we are talking about how progressive this exploitation <laughs> film was compared to 2005. And that's just sad. I think that uh, Carpenter himself, you know, has
2: just been ripped off uh, so many times, especially now it's, uh, it's become very much in vogue. Like if you... You look at uh, you know it follows or uh, the guest uh, they feel very much like a Carpenter movie that he's just not being allowed to make now, but you can you can see the the nods to to his his style and it's almost like a, a Carpenter verse that they're living in. Uh, I want to go back to Tony Burton and just say it's it's weird that we're recording this at, when as of he, he passed away four days ago. Yeah. Uh, so that just uh, it's just a strange thing to uh, to sort of have him on the mind and have that happen this week. Cause that, as you said, he was one of the few sort of recognizable faces, even for me. Um, and that's mainly due to the, uh, the, the Rocky persona. Um, one of my favorite, I think speeches is from the Rocky Balboa where he's uh, talks about what building up what hurting bombs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just uh, some great dialogue. Uh, what was your, can you remember your favorite line from the carpenter version? Cause it, it just seemed like I could do like a complete YouTube uh, clip of all the things that we have the uh the Wilson character saying throughout the film,
1: uh yeah, I think my favorite line I got lucky that they I got it twice in the movie, and it was actually the one they ended on when they they keep asking the the main prisoner like You think you've got style, don't you? He's like, I have my moments and and then that's how they ended, like as there's it like it'd be you know privileged if you'd walk out with me, and then uh, you know he says he brings up his style again, he's like, you know I have my moments, and then they' go to walk out in front of all the cops and stuff. Uh, and I, I love that line and i also loved one when the secretary tells him that like we're out of time he's like i've been out of time since i was born and like he <laughs> delivers it like it's so fucking cheesy but like i'm just nodding my head like god damn right he's been out of time since he was born like you, you just you get behind the character
2: there's one where the uh where bishop the, the cop is uh looking at the 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 maintenance holes we was we talked about and says it looks pretty good to me and Wilson responds looks like hell it's all we got I mean he he speaks pretty much just an action hero quotes uh, but yeah this, I, I felt like clearly that was that was missing with the the Lawrence Fishburne version is like it's like he's a little too self satisfied in the opposite way like he would never be that cheesy or, or maybe it's just yeah. the 2005 version afraid of being cheesy enough but I felt very much that you know, the '76 version could sit on the same shelf as Roadhouse, as far as the same type of characters that would inhabit that universe.
1: Yeah, it's like, and you can you can watch it, and you can call it cheesy, or you can watch it, and you can call it stylized, right. and it's really just how you want to interpret the film. But either way, the the remake lacked that. It didn't have those memorable moments, regardless if you thought they were cheesy or if you thought they were cool it just, it didn't really have anything to want to draw you back and want to really, you know, dig into it. Was like, Oh man, that was a really neat scene. Wasn't it? like, or how'd you think about the way this guy said that? And like all of that sort of stuff, it just, it kind of fell a little flat. All
2: right. So normally we, uh, we try to kind of put this in uh, perspective for people, you know, if they've not seen uh, either of these versions uh, or maybe if they've just seen the original. So uh, since this is your first time on this podcast, do you think the
1: remake does justice to the original? Um, I think it does justice to it. I mean, you know, there aren't any major changes. You know, they try to add in some more, uh, I guess, intricate plot lines that don't don't quite work out as well as I would have liked them to. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not a travesty. Like, I'm not angry that they've remade it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it was a nice nod. Just not not quite as good. And if you just watched the remake, which uh, for a time,
2: I think you had only seen the remake, correct? Oh, uh, yeah. This, I actually watched the original this morning before we recorded this. Okay, so if you had just watched the remake, if you had not gone ahead and watched the original, would you get a good sense of why the original was successful or why it sort of had the uh, the acclaim that it did and was remade just based on your first watch of the 2005 version?
1: Uh, I don't know. I don't think I would have understood why it had quite the sort of cult following it's developed. I mean, I would have, you know, had enough to know that, oh, this was probably like a really good action movie for when it came out. You know, it's probably like the best of the genre, you know, maybe like a diehard of the 70s type thing. But you have to see the original to fully, you know, understand, you know, the score that Carpenter's put on this movie. Probably one of his top four or five for me. And then, like you said, you know, the just the cool factor in the stylization and the dialogue and stuff. Like you really need to see it to appreciate fully, you know, where it stands. So I think it's pretty easy that we're, if we're going
2: to recommend a one to people, we're clearly going to go with the original and toss the, the remake aside.
1: Oh yeah, definitely the original for me.
2: Do you think that, uh, this is just sort of, this is not something we normally do, but can you think of a filmmaker that could do a, you know, a version of Carpenter's, that does something new maybe even puts it in modern time but would make something that would honor that sort of cult status and the the fun of the original
1: uh i don't know i think it's gonna have to be a director who can kind of go the route that we're talking about maybe um where you're adding in these really sort of intricate plot lines but you're doing it effectively um like a david fincher who can, he can take that psychological element and he can make it work, I think, in almost any kind of movie he does. Also likes kind of silly
2: characters, as we saw when uh, Dwight Yoakum and Panic Room kind of has, their, I mean, there's some humor there, even with these guys who are you know, going to commit vicious crimes.
1: Yeah, I, and I think he could take these characters in his story and I don't want to say like show up John Carp- Carpenter, but he could take it to the next level, so to speak, and, and give you something more than you would get out of the original. I was thinking Nicholas winning Reffin
2: of uh, Drive, because I okay, think he yeah. could he could do something extremely dark like Only God Forgives, but there's also that that extra sort of oddball style, like you know he inserts those karaoke scenes in Only God Forgives that you can't help but chuckle at, but he's also showing someone who well, you know take a sword and just disembowel someone? And so I think he could he could build up the dread. Also, just you know, use of very cool music.
1: So yeah, I think those. Yeah. I think mentioned... it's interesting. We both went the same route for like a dark director that can give you oddball characters. Yeah, yeah. Like you laugh at a scene, you're like, oh, should I have laughed at that? <laughs> well, it's too late now.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, I think that'll that'll do it. Uh, this is coming out the week of triple nine. So uh, if you're used to listening to Me and Shane on War Machine versus Warhorse, which you can also find on followingfilms.com. We are going to be doing an episode on Triple uh, Nine, and I think a far more effective uh, double feature of Dirty Cops uh, that the 2005 assault on Precinct 13 was trying to do with Copland and LA Confidential. So that'll be out later this week, and uh, you can find me and Shane there. <laughs> And if you have any suggestions for remakes to be featured on the show, feel free to email us at originalremake at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at originalremake. I can be found at War Machine Horse, Shane is at the Shane Wayne, and my fugitive co host Peter is at HLF Podcast. Next week, we celebrate, although that might not be the right word, the new release, London Has Fallen. By going back to 2013 when Olympus has fallen, squared off against the similarly plotted film from that year in White House Down. regular vanilla. I wanted vanilla twist.